We are uh, starting off this series that we're calling Follow. And as I said at the beginning of our service, the reason why we're doing this series is because God has given one mission to his church. It's been the same mission that the church has had for 2,000 years in every place and in every age. And that mission is summarized well in Matthew 28 where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me, therefore go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's our mission. It's the reason that we exist. It's what we are called to do as Christians. But the question is, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? What does it first and foremost mean to be a disciple? And then how do we become disciples who make disciples? So over the course of the next several weeks, that's really what we're going to be talking about here at Trinity as we go through this series that we're calling Follow. It's learning to make disciples the way Jesus did it. And so I think it's only right that before we kick off this series and open God's word that we take a moment now to allow him to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message that he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Let's pray together. Lord God, we give you thanks that you have drawn us together this morning to remind us why we're here. That we have a mission, we have a calling, it's to go and make disciples. And so Lord, as we spend this time, as well as over the next several weeks, really exploring that calling, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your message. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Jesus says our mission is, is simply to go, to go and make disciples of all nations. But, but what does that actually mean? What does it mean to be a disciple? If someone were to ask you, what, what, is, what does it mean to be a disciple? How would you describe what impact that means on, uh, plays on, on how you understand what it means to live out your faith? I mean, what, what would you say? I mean, I think for a lot of people, when we ask them, so, so you're a follower of Jesus, what does that mean? We talk about believing certain truths. Believing, first and foremost, that Jesus is the only Lord and Savior. Believing certain truths about God and about our world. Believing certain truths about creation and and what it means to be be broken by sin. Believing in the authority of Scripture and, and believing something about what happens to us after we die. We usually equate being a person of faith with certain things that we believe. And that is certainly true. Let's make, I I don't want to downplay this point uh, too much. Doctrine does matter. Our beliefs matter. What we hold to be true matters. But what I find so interesting about how Jesus defines what it means to be a disciple in this passage is that he uses some other words that I think we would be well to take note, uh, we would do well to take note of. Because what he says is he says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Jesus says that disciple-making first and foremost begins in baptism. That the moment you are baptized, you are now a new creation. You have been brought into the family of God. You have been forgiven and set free from sin, and you have been brought into eternal life and salvation. You are claimed, you have a brand new identity, and that is as God's child, who has God's Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Jesus says, first and foremost, being a disciple is about being saved. It's about being saved by Christ. 
But secondly, he says, it's also, though, about being instructed, being taught to obey everything Jesus has commanded. And I think that that's important because what he's saying is he's saying it's not just about the beliefs, the beliefs that you hold. It's how those beliefs shape your everyday life. It's knowing that these certain doctrines that we hold to be true actually then impact the decisions we make, the relationships we have, the priorities that we set. It's really how Jesus is defining what it means to be a disciple because disciple, again, is a word that we don't often use in our culture today. In many, almost everybody in, in Jesus' culture in, in first century Judea knew what it meant to be a disciple. But for us, it, it takes a little bit of unpacking. It's something we have to really understand because this word for disciple, which in the Greek they translate mathetes, literally means a learner. But a learner wasn't just somebody who sat in a classroom and, and basically took in a bunch of head knowledge. Disciples were people who followed a rabbi. And their goal was not simply to learn what the rabbi taught, but to actually examine and emulate how he lived. They would make a study, not just of what the rabbi said, but of what he did and how he lived his life. The entire rabbi's life was their subject. And so disciples would follow a rabbi closely and they would take note of, yes, what he taught, but also of how he conducted himself in relationships and what priorities he set and how he made decisions. They wanted to emulate their rabbi. They wanted to know not just what, what did he know, but who was he as a person? What was his character like? And, and how can I model my life after that person? In fact, there was an ancient first century blessing that went something like this. It said, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. The idea was that you would follow your rabbi so closely that the dirt that he kicked up as he walked would get all over your robes. The point was to essentially become like the one you followed. And disciples would take this so seriously that they would take note of, of even the, what we would consider minor details. Like, how did the rabbi dress? And how did he eat? And how did he sleep? And what was his house like? And all these things because they wanted to become like the one that they followed. That was their drive. That was their sole purpose is to one day be a rabbi in the exact same way that their rabbi was a teacher to them. So when we ask the question, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, quite simply, to be a disciple of Jesus simply means that we learn to live more like him. We learn to look, live, and love more and more like Jesus. And that's actually why that is our mission statement as a church. You look at our logo and it says more like Jesus. And I've had lots of people saying like, well, what, what does that mean? And I said, well, quite simply, that's just our way of taking what Jesus said in Matthew 28 of go make disciples and putting it into modern terms. Our full mission statement is this. We desire to be a church that looks, lives, and loves more like Jesus every day and helps others to do the same. That is us simply taking this great commission and putting it into modern language, saying we desire to be people who follow Jesus so closely that we're covered in his dust. That we become like him. That we learn to look, live, and love more and more like him. And our desire is to help other people do that as well. That's the reason we exist. That's how we make decisions as a church. I've had lots of people visit our church from other churches and they're like, wow, you guys are a little different. 
You guys do things differently. You don't just kind of go to the same old, like, uh, order of service. You have four locations, and they all look different and do things differently. And we're like, yeah. Like, so what holds you together? And I was like, one thing. Are we helping people look, live, and love more like Jesus? If we're doing something that's not helping people look, live, and love more like Jesus, we stop doing it. And instead, we start to lean into the stuff that we do believe is going to help people grow in their understanding of who Jesus is, why he matters, and what it means to follow him as Lord and Savior. That is the reason we are here. But there's another question that I don't think we often ask is why? Why do we do that? I mean, if people were to come to you and they're going to say, okay, so you have this mission statement, more like Jesus, you're supposed to make disciples. Why? What would you say? Jesus said so. Yeah, but why did Jesus say so? And it's at that that I really want us to take some time to really consider, like, why is it that we follow him? Why do we follow Jesus? Why do we say he is the single goal of our entire lives? Why do we put him front and center? Why do we fix our eyes on him? Why do we follow him? And I would argue this morning that the reason we follow Jesus is because he is the most compelling figure in human history. He's the most compelling figure in all of human history. I would argue he's actually the only one truly worthy of our worship and our devotion. But you don't have to believe me. You just take a poll of some of the most influential people in history and what they have to say about Jesus. And specifically, I went looking for non-Christians. I said, what do non-Christians say about Jesus? Famous non-Christians, what do they say about him? And I found tons of quotes, but I'm going to give you three. Here's what Mahatma Gandhi had to say about Jesus. He said, Jesus was a man who was completely innocent and yet offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became the ransom of the world. It was a perfect act. Gandhi, though a Hindu, looked at Jesus and said, he is the absolute epitome, the perfect model of what servant sacrificial leadership looks like. But then you go to others like Albert Einstein, and here's what Einstein had to say. He said, as a child, I received instruction both in the Bible and in the Talmud. I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. Einstein, one of the world's greatest scientists, by his own admission, a Jew, looks at Jesus and says he is enthralled by this man from Nazareth. Last but not least, the writer and historian H.G. Wells, this is what he says. He says, I'm a historian, I'm not a believer. But I must confess, as a historian, that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. A man who by his own words professes, I am not a believer and yet Jesus is the most important person in all of human history. And that's just the non-Christians. My point is simply this, if you've never taken a serious look at the life of Jesus, if you've never actually considered who he is and why he matters, you're actually on the outside of the intellectual elite of the world. 
Because people like Gandhi and Einstein and Wells and countless others have looked at Jesus and said, if you look at Jesus, you cannot walk away and remain the same. And I know that that has certainly been true in my own life. I was not raised in a Christian home. I was, didn't grow up assuming many of the things that Christians who were raised in a Christian home assumed. But as a young man, I started seeking. I started asking questions. I started looking and wondering, do I have something that truly grounds my life? Something that I'm willing to live and give everything for. Something I'm willing to follow, not just believe in. And so I started to look around at the many different religious options that were there. I studied the life of the Buddha and I learned about the teachings of Muhammad. I read the Bhagavad Gita and took a closer look at the Hindu scriptures. I considered everybody from Moses to Marx and yet nobody even comes close to Jesus of, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Nobody. Because when I looked at Jesus, I saw something that I had not seen in any other religious figure on the face of this planet. I saw a man who in every way was perfect and yet loved to hang out and spend time with imperfect people. He wasn't too good for them. He enjoyed being with them. I saw a man who made some of the most incredible statements about himself. Saying things like, before Abraham, wa uh, Abraham was, I am. Basically claiming to be God. You know, claims that he was making about himself that if you or I were to make them, we would either be considered horribly egotistical or insane. And yet Jesus made these kinds of statements constantly, but he did so with a level of humility and groundedness that was just astounding. I looked at Jesus and I see a man who's able to perform incredible miracles. Incredible miracles, restoring sight to the blind. Allowing the deaf to hear. Raising the dead back to life. And yet, with all of his power, he was still willing to be vulnerable with those who are around him, those who are closest to him. When I look at the life of Jesus, I saw someone who was willing to forgive and to die for the people who hated him and do so out of love. I look at the story of Jesus, I see someone, a man who died and yet rose again from the dead. When I looked at Jesus, I didn't see just some awesome story. I encountered the historical account of the God of the universe entering into our world and becoming a human being. And the whole reason he did it was for us. He came for you and me. He didn't wait until we got our act cleaned up. He didn't wait until we scaled the mountain and found him. He came down into our world to walk with us, teach us, die for us, and rise again so that we can have forgiveness, salvation, and life eternal. There is no other person like Jesus, and you cannot take a serious look at his life and walk away unchanged. That's the reason I follow Jesus. But what's even more amazing is what Jesus promises to those who, who follow him. He makes some amazing promises to those who would come after him. One of my favorites is, is this. Uh, he says, this is the reason I came. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
Jesus basically says, I didn't just come to be your uh, eternal get out of jail free card. I didn't just come to give you divine fire insurance. I came so that right here now in the present, you can have a foretaste of eternity. So that right here now in the present, you can experience abundant life no matter what your circumstances are. And I think that that's a beautiful promise because we live in a world where people are looking for the abundant life in all the wrong places. We look for the abundant life in our careers and in our achievements and in our relationships and in our families. And as good as those things might be, if that's where we are drawing our ultimate source of meaning from, we will always come up short, robbed of our joy, killing ourselves in our constant striving and never being satisfied. And what Jesus says, he says, look, if you want to know why you're here, if you want to live a life on purpose, if you want to have a life that is filled with joy in the good times and in the bad, in the uh, seasons of plenty and in seasons of famine, then you need look no further than me. I came so that regardless of where you are at, you can experience abundant life lived with God both now and into eternity. But he goes on, he makes other promises. One of his promises is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now in our pluralistic world, we read that and we say, wow, that just sounds so exclusive. What do you mean, you know, Jesus said, you're the way, the truth, and the life. What about all these other options? What about those things? But think about this for a moment. When you live in a world of infinite options, Suddenly learning the way, the truth, and the life is a profound gift. Because we live in a world where people are groping about in the darkness looking for truth. Where people are trying to find the way. Where they're wondering where life truly is found. Who is God? What does he think about me? Can I have a relationship with him? And Jesus says, you don't need to keep wondering you don't need to keep worrying and being concerned. You don't need to keep groping around in the dark because if you want to know, look at me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you don't need to keep wondering how God feels about you, what he thinks of you, whether or not you're going to be with him in eternity when you die. Because you can look to me and to my life and to my teachings and know the truth and the truth will set you free. That is an incredibly liberating thing. It was for me. Overwhelmed by the dizzying array of uh, spiritual options that are out there to have Jesus come and say, look only to me and you can know, you can know God is an incredible gift. That when people come to me and they say, how do I know that God loves me? After all that I've done, after all the things that I am ashamed of, after all those things that if you were to print up my record and you would read printed on black and white, the crimes that I have committed, how can I know that God loves me? I say, look to Jesus. Look at what he was willing to do for you. That he was willing to come into this world to rescue you. That the punishment that you deserved, he was willing to take on his own shoulders and go to a cross and die for you. You don't need to wonder if God loves you. He's proved it. He's shown you the depths of his love. He is willing to die for you and rise again. 
When people say, well, how can I be sure that I'm going to be with God in paradise when I die? I mean, what happens to me after I die? How can I know for sure that there is a heaven? How can I know for sure that I will rise again? How can I know those things? I guess they look to the empty tomb on that very first Easter Sunday. Because Jesus' tomb is empty, that means that when he comes again, so we too will rise again from the dead. And that's not just a nice story. The, the facts and the history behind it are abundant. They're overwhelming. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life so that you can know. So that you can be sure. So that you can have purpose and meaning in your life. This is the reason Jesus calls us to follow him is because these are the gifts that he gives to those who do. He says, when you are baptized and you live a life constantly being taught the things that I have commanded, you are on a journey with me that starts now but continues for all eternity. It's an incredible gift. And so when people say, well, why, why do you follow Jesus? That's why. Not only is the most, the, the most compelling figure in human history, the gifts that he gives to his followers are incredible gifts. That's the reason we do it. So that we can know the way, the truth, and the life. So that we can experience God's abundant life now in our present. And Jesus says, and that's a gift that's so good, you need to go and share it. Go and make disciples of all nations. Share with them the good news that you yourself have received. I love this word for go because it, and there's not a single English translation that actually gets this translated right. Because when it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, that word for go, it actually means going. It's like, therefore, going, make disciples. Like, to make the disciples is really the only command. Best way we could maybe translate that is as you go. But his point is, is that this going and making disciples is an ongoing thing. We do it all the time wherever God has placed us. That in every single circumstance, in every opportunity, we're looking for ways to help point people back to Jesus and to teach them what it means to walk with him. And this doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. Doesn't matter if you're an accountant or, an th or a theology geek. Doesn't matter if you prefer soccer over football. Doesn't matter if you're a Netflix person or an Amazon Prime person. Doesn't matter. This is a calling that Jesus has given to all of us. He says, as you go, make disciples wherever you are, in the home, in the workplace, on the train, at the playground, in school, wherever you are, wherever you live, wherever you go, share the good news. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That is the reason that you are still here. Because Jesus has a purpose and a plan for your life that you would join him on his mission as he goes and makes disciples. Following him wherever he leads you in your daily life. And learning to ask those important questions. Do you desire to be more loving, more compassionate, more centered, more purposeful? Do you desire to be more sure, more settled in not only who you are, but where you're going and with whom? And Jesus says, then come and follow me. Consider again my life. 
take a closer look at how I do it. And learn from me what it means to walk with your God. Love how the message, message translates one, pat, one of Jesus' teachings. It said, we often translate it, come to me all who are weary and heavily laden. But I love how this, in this uh, paraphrase of it, Jesus basically says this. He, sa he says, are you burnt out, worn out? Then come to me. Rest in me. And learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus says, come and follow and you will learn what it means to know the way, the truth, and the life. And to experience abundant life both now and for all eternity. It's why we're here. It's what we're called to do. It's a mission that we've been given. And so I want to encourage you as we go throughout this series, join us. Join us as we look at the life of Jesus and see how he did it. How he made disciples. Get plugged into a small group community. As we study this in, in greater details, we actually sit down and read some of these Bible passages for ourselves. Because in doing so, you're going to encounter someone who's going to change your life forever. And so it's with that in mind that I want to close in prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you are indeed the way, the truth, and the life. And that because of you, we can experience abundant life now and for all eternity. And so Lord, help us to follow you. Holy Spirit, guide and direct our steps. Teach us what it means to be your disciples and then show us what it means to be disciples who make disciples. Lord, we place our lives in your hands asking that you would go ahead of us, that you would go with us, that you'd go within us and teach us what it means to follow you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.